Um, so I'll go back a little bit. December 24th is Christmas Eve. We do our services here, and usually for uh, Melissa and Pastor John and I and a few others, it's, it's a crazy day. It's a full day. We start early, you know, setting up hay bales, straw bales, getting all the music ready, you know, mu- set up the sound system over at the, the um, fairgrounds, and, and so it's a full day. Then we move from there to here and set up the sound system again, um, do candle lighting, and, and by that time, you're all, like, congested a little bit from all the the straw stuff that's in the air, and you can hardly sing anymore. Your voice is going, but it's a full day. And then we come home. Um, I don't know what they do, but we'll have some kind of lasagna or something um, that you hope that they've saved you a little bit left over for. And so it's a full day on December 24th, and the 25th for me is like the relaxed day. Like I don't, I'll wear my, my sweatpants, T-shirt. I don't uh, just kind of hang out with the kids. We don't have a lot going on. We have family into the house. And then by the evening, all the kids are off doing their things. And so I will get out uh, a table and a wooden board, and then I'll pull out a, my new puzzle. And I will, this is the only time I do puzzles all year round. It's, it's, it's between on Christmas Day, and I finish it up. If, I, if it's a tough one, I'll finish it up on New Year's Eve. So I, ha- I can't do any parties on New Year's Eve. So don't invite me, because what I need to do is I need to get in my house, and I need to make sure that puzzle's done. Um, and I'll stay up. It's the only time I stay up late, too. Like, if it's New Year's Eve and my puzzle's already done, I'm in bed by, you know, 9, 10, 11, or whatever it is. If the puzzle's not done, um, I keep going. Anybody, by the way, just, just so I'm not the weird one, does anybody else, like, have a similar, a couple people? All right, some of you understand where I'm coming from. My problem with the puzzles is that I'm OCD. So that's why I only can do it one time a year is because once I get going, it's not complete. Um, and I have to keep going and keep like one more piece one more piece Gina will be in the bed I'm like I'm just gonna do a couple more and it's like two hours later I look up and I'm still like and, and it, it like takes form so slowly um, and I say that because the Old Testament feels like uh, maybe I should start first the, the, the Bible split up into two b- parts um, lots of different books uh, but two major sections the Old Testament is what we call the first um, books and then the New Testament and and they're kind of split uh, historically um, when Jesus came. And so a lot of us, a lot of the church has, like, we kind of get lost in the Old Testament. I get that. You know, it's, it's tough to read sometimes. We don't really grasp what's going on there. And so what I wanted to do for this series is really explain to you and ho- hopefully help you fall in love with, with, the, with the Old Testament and the beauty of it. Because the Old Testament is really about two things, um, if you really broke it down. Number one is this. It's about the brokenness of our lives. How messed up things are when we, when we drift away from God. When sin first entered the garden, um, everything started falling apart. And, and I think we, have, we see that in our lives too, I would think. That our lives can be a little chaotic at times. Um, our world can be chaotic. And the Old Testament is a lot of crazy stories of how sin is just destroying relationships, Cain and Abel, and um, brothers, uh, Jacob and Esau, and like nations, um, the Judah and Samaria. And, and over, it's, just, it's just this crazy cycle. And then we have different parts of it, and a lot of it's like, God, call him, please come back, please come back, please come back. All right, so that's, that's one, this, how sin kind of destroys our world. Number two, and this is the one where I think we miss a lot of times, is this picture, this, this the storyline of a puzzle, piece by piece, pointing to someone who's going to come. All right? So like in a puzzle, 
like I don't know how you do puzzles, but I do the outside first, especially a big puzzle. You know, you do the edges, and you don't. I, I will say I cheat. I use the box. Some of you are are more technicalists, like you don't use the box, but but I use the box, so I know what the picture is going to be. But but in the Old Testament, they just got they just got the pieces. Does that, does that make sense this morning? And so they're just putting the pieces together of who is coming. Someone's coming. Who is it? And so a lot of the Old Testament, almost every book has this picture of this person who's going to come. Like we, we talked about two weeks ago, Genesis 3, where God is talking to Adam and Eve right from the beginning. He says, hey, someone's coming, and he's going to crush the head of Satan. He's, he's going to win. He's, he's going to win. There's, there's someone coming that's going to win this battle. Um, yet last week we saw... Um, Pastor John talked about the blessing that was promised to Abraham. Like, to Abraham. Um, in Genesis chapter 12, God comes and says, Hey, I'm going to make you a great nation, and all nations will be blessed through you. And so we see this promise playing out that someone's coming who's going to be a blessing to the whole world. And we see this, this promise again said to um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and it, it starts building. And then we get to Moses. So more pieces are falling into place. We get to this guy named Moses. And Moses um, is a prophet, even though we don't necessarily think of him as a prophet. He's a, the spokesman of God. And God tells Moses, the nation of Israel, there's someone coming who's going to be even greater than Moses, which is hard for most Israelites to believe. Because Moses and David, those are the two main people, right? Those are the, and Elijah, the, these are the ones we, we admire. And they're like, someone, someone's coming who's going to be greater than, than him. And then we get into like the Exodus, which if you read the story of the Exodus, is the story of the brokenness of sin and then how the Passover is, is supposed to deliver the people out of slavery into freedom. And guess who that Passover lamb is? This guy named, well, I'm not going to give it away. I don't want to ruin the story for you. Okay, we'll get there. All right, someone's coming. Someone's coming who's going to be our Passover lamb, who's going to lead us from slavery to freedom. And then we get into these, all these sacrifices. You ever get into that section of the Old Testament? You're like, man, this is long and this is a lot of the same thing. But all of those sacrifices are pointing toward this guy who we're talking about a little bit later. And then we get into the tabernacle. You know what the, ta- the temple? Like this, this building, and there's detail after detail. Like, wow, there's a lot of detail into this place that they're going to worship. And all of those pieces, a lot of those pieces, are pointing to, this, to someone coming. There's someone, there's someone coming. And then we get to like uh, the, the festivals. Are you familiar with this? That the, the Jewish people, the Israelites were co- commanded, hey, uh, to, to party. <laughs> people think that God's tough sometimes. But God, God is really good, all right? And he commanded them, hey, you need to, you need to party. You need, you need to celebrate. And so these seven festivals that they would do uh, d- different parts of the year, all pointing to their little pieces of the puzzle pointing to someone coming. And then we have this, this crazy cool thing. I, I love this. Uh, this idea of the Sabbath, which means rest. I, I'll, I'll fill you in on this. This is really in the Ten Commandments. We think there is don't steal, don't kill. All good things. I, I'm all in favor of those. I hope you are too. But there's one that we kind of like put in the background that's beautiful. It's like Sabbath, rest. I'm commanding you to take a nap. I'm commanding you to rest. I'm commanding you work hard six days. One day just kind of relax and have some fun and enjoy all that I've given you. And they says, not only do I want to do Sabbaths, but I want to do these things called Sabbath years. And not only do I want to do Sabbath years, I want to do this thing called, and I love this, the year of Jubilee. And, and just let me just explain the year of Jubilee, because it's the coolest thing that God ever created in the Old Testament. It was this year. All right, so we'll, we'll put, if we did this, this, like all of us, 
what would happen is this year would be the year of Jubilee, and we'd all bring in our mortgages. We'd bring, all bring in our credit card statements. We'd bring in every bill that was ever, that we still owed, and all of our taxes would be paid. Everything. It was a year of canceling all debts. Does that not sound good to you? I, I'm in favor. I need to become president to do that, I think. Um, but th- that's how God set it up. He said, and, and all of this, this the, the year of Jubilee, there's lots of celebration, there, there was little work, there, there was lots of good things happening, was all pointing to Jesus, because what I know is, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, are being written, they're talking about the year of Jubilee sometimes in, in what Jesus is saying. He said, hey, I'm, I'm proclaiming freedom for the prisoners, the year of Jubilee. I'm proclaiming um, recovery of sight for the blind. And the year of the Lord's favor, which was all the year of Jubilee. And so what I'm telling you is all these pieces of the Old Testament, although tough to read sometimes, are all pointing, saying someone's coming. Someone's coming to make all this right again. And then we get into the Psalms, and we're like, the Psalms are just songs, right? I mean, they are songs. But they have these things called Messianic Psalms, which are, which are songs that are written about someone coming, that we call the person they were expecting to be the Messiah. And then, then we get into the prophets. All right? These prophets are, are spokesmen of God. They, they have written books, and generally most of the prophets are after um, Israel's taken into captivity or near being taken into captivity, which means they lost their land because they've, they've drifted so far from God. They have, God says, all right, you're going to live with the consequences of that, and so they're taking, they're, other nations come in, they, they kind of break down the temple, and they take the people out of the land to a different land. And the, the people are frustrated, and they're, they're, they're like, what's going on here? And the prophets come along and say, this is bad, but someone's coming. All right, so, so we get in all these pieces, and we're going to be in um, Isaiah chapter 9. What, what I want you to, if you want to turn there, you can. But you know how uh, Christmas works. It, there's, a, there's a crescendo. There's a build. Um, it starts, for some of you, back in July when they start putting the stuff on the shelves of all the Christmas stuff. Then for some of you, it starts like two or three weeks before Thanksgiving where you go get your tree and you start decorating and putting things out and you start listening to music. On Black, is it Black Friday? That's when it kicks into high gear. You know, we know Christmas is coming because on Thanksgiving Day, we get all the ads. It's coming. You know, so Black Friday comes, all these sales, and we, we start hearing Christmas music on every radio station that's ever existed and and whatever, Pandora, or whatever it is, you, you hear it in your house, and, and it's building. You start driving your car through the neighborhoods, and you start seeing lights up and Christmas trees up and, and, and all this other thing. And then you might even see some white stuff outside, and you're like, Christmas is coming. You get your Christmas list from your kids and from your family, and you know Christmas is coming. Do, 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 you, do you feel the crescendo this weekend? Like right now, do you feel it building? Like now you're at the point where you're feeling the stress and the pressure of all the things that you have to do this week. There, there's a build. There's until Christmas Eve. And then we, we get to Christmas. I hope, this is me, okay? I, I love Christmas Eve because it's almost like almost there. And now you can stop, you can breathe, and you can look forward there, to the next day. And that's, that's what we're walking through with this, this series on expecting, but also what the Old Testament is there's this like, He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He's, someone's coming, someone's coming, comes, and there's this build. And we get to Isaiah, who has a lot of these, um, what we call them prophecies, telling the future about who's coming. And I'm going to start in verse 21 so you get the backdrop of what's happening, of chapter 8. 
uh, 8.21 says this, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Just stop for a moment. And, uh, the backdrop of Jesus coming, oh, I gave you the name, so don't just stay with me, even though I told you it was coming. But, but the backdrop of that is like this darkness, this, this depression, this like things aren't right, things are broken. You're just, you're frustrated. They, they were frustrated. The nation of Israel was looking around at the economic status and how, how things weren't working out and how they were in debt and how they had sold some of their land off and their, 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 some kids, some of their, their own kids were in slavery. And there was, what was really stressing them out, what was really causing that, that darkness was there's this nation, the Assyrians, who were standing outside outside their nation, rumors were coming that they were coming, and they're like, we aren't strong enough to face this world empire, this world power. What are we going to do? And so they have this, this darkness, this, this frustration, this, and, and it'd be, just a side note, if you ever want to do a like, study like, throughout Scripture, do a study on, on darkness and light. It starts in Genesis and goes to Revelation. God creates light, and then we hear phrases about l- the battle of light and darkness, of hopelessness and hope, of, of like mourning and celebration, and, and of like depression, and like God is good. And so we see this playing out, and, and this, this moment in history is a moment of darkness. And I, wa- I want to pause, because although this is written to the nation of Israel in a, in a, in a group, I'm thinking this morning, we feel that sometimes. We, f- we, feel, we feel that weight, that, that weight of brokenness around you, the weight of like, y- some, some even feel the darkness. Like you just feel like you're, you're trying, to get, trying to navigate something and you can't get out. <clears throat> like you're, you're, you're feeling hopeless this morning. And maybe if you're, you're okay, maybe there's someone you know. Like I think this is a world that we live in, that, that there, there is a, a lot of hopelessness around us. And I, and I think we can even prove that because I believe the suicide rates are rising. And suicide is the ultimate um, statement of, I have no hope. I'm, I'm walking in darkness. I might as well give up. And, and God tells the prophets, don't let Israel get to that point because someone's coming. Someone's coming. And so then it goes over into chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, all right, do you hear the switch? There was darkness, and I love these, wor- these small words, this is not a small word, but these transitional words that are, you should pay attention to. Nevertheless, in the midst, even though there's darkness play- going on here, nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress in the past, in the, for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. Galilee is a small little neighborhood no one even paid attention to and he's saying that there's going to be a time when this place called Galilee is going to be famous and I don't know if you realize this or not but be, that's where Jesus did most of his ministry. Like it was honored because Jesus lived there and he healed there and he taught there and he fed 5,000 there. There's going to be this transition from hopelessness and darkness to like hope and beauty and this, this is what it goes on to say. Um, verse 2 of chapter 9. In fact, this is quoted in Matthew. Um, it says, The people walking in darkness 
that's that's where he, we were just at, have seen a great light. He, he's, he's predicting, he's saying, there's someone coming, and not only is he bringing light, he is the great light. Guess what Jesus comes and says? I am the light of the world. I am the, I am the light. I'm, I'm the one that you're, you should be expecting. And it says, but seen a great light on those living in the land of the deep of darkness. A light has dawned. Do you, do you hear this hope rising? In a, in a desperate situation, when the nation is struggling at its, at its peak, God sends a prophet, sends someone to speak and say, you, you don't have to lose hope because someone's coming. And this is what he says is going to happen. Verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest. Now picture this. We don't, we don't necessarily, I don't, not many of us are farmers. I don't think we have a lot of farmers in our place. And even, even those of us who have um, little gardens don't really get the full grasp of this. But picture um, the day you get paid. You, you understand how that works. Maybe you get paid every other week or twice a month. And you're like, you're a week out from that and your groceries are already gone and your bills have already been paid you have nothing left in your account how much excitement that you get you're like we're almost there There's, our paycheck is here now, now picture that. but but years ago i don't know if anybody does this now i think corning did this where they only paid once a month right and so it was even more of excitement when you got the paycheck you're like okay we have two more weeks before we get groceries we have, we're doing ramen noodles. Do they have ramen noodles back in those days? I don't know, but we're, we're doing ramen noodles. And, um, and then you, you, the buildup, the crescendo, till the paycheck. And then the paycheck, you go out and you get all sorts of groceries. You have the sugared cereals and all that sort of thing. And then now you're happy again for another week. until. You, but don't, don't just stop there. Think about that if you were paid once a year. How much joy it happens when that paycheck comes. That's, that's, that's what he's saying. He's saying the harvest... What, what they, their, their goods, their, their, their financial situation is dependent on the harvest. Once a year, the harvest comes. And when that harvest comes, there's a big party. There's a big celebration. There's like joy, like, whoo-hoo, that, this, is, this is, God is good. God is good. So he said, when Jesus comes, <clears throat> there'll be joy, there'll be like that kind of joy of finally seeing that. Then it keeps on going. Another picture of that day when Jesus comes, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunders. He says, when you have a great victory, when, when, when an army um, faces a battle and they walk away with a victory, there's celebration, there's joy. Maybe the best way for us to see it, because we don't necessarily live in, in that kind of world, is when your team finally wins. When, when you're a Chicago Cubs fan, for years you've seen frustration and emptiness and and the, the wall, you know, the, the ivory is your highest point in your life. And the day comes when you actually win the World Series. There's joy. There's celebration. And th- again, that's what he's saying about the day when the Messiah or Jesus comes. He goes on to give another illustration. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke of the burden that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. He says, do you remember back in this one little battle against the Midianites, uh, Gideon was there, and Gideon was like, he had this, this, this small little army, and then the God says, hey, I need you to shrink it a little bit, and anyone that drinks the water a certain way, send them away, 
anyone who doesn't want to fight, send them away. And he has like these different tests. They kind of get down to a couple hundred and they're facing thousands upon thousands. And they surround the, the, the army and they start just kind of clapping things together, hitting things, making some noise. And God does this amazing victory for them. And in that victory, they are released from slavery. Remember that? Remember, remember hearing about those stories in your nation's history? When the Messiah comes, it will be greater than that. And then he says this, verse uh, 5, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. He's like, he basically says this, whatever is going to happen next, what it, when this person comes, all the military is going to retire because it's going to be done. It'll be finished. Well, we've won. Going back to Genesis 3, we've won. All right? And then here's the next part. Here, um, verse 6. Small word, but important word. Four. All right, so let's connect the two. For you English people um, who like to study the language and all that, there's a connection here. Whatever was talked about before, this is going to be the cause. All right, so let me walk this with you. We walked from gloom to joy. And this victory and the celebration and there's going to be whatever's going to happen next, whatever's going to be said next, is the reason for that celebration. And this is what he says. <clears throat> for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He says, for to us, this is, what, this is the flipping point. This is... This is when you know things are going to start uh, turning for the good. This is know, know that when this, this happens, <coughs> that joy is coming. When you see a child to be born, a son to be given. Which, I want, I want you to stop there because there's something amazing about that. <coughs> in the Old Testament, Jesus showed up in various ways. They call him an angel of the Lord. They believe that he showed up at various times, appearing to different people. In fact, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, I don't know if you know this story, but they're, walk, they're walking around. God saves them. He rescues them. There's a fourth person in. And many think that's Jesus. And so Jesus could have come as a man. Could he not? I mean, he could have said, hey, I, I just want to show up. I don't want to be a baby. Why should I be a baby? I'm God. I'll just, I'll just kind of like be Adam. You know, like Adam was just kind of like there. He, 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 just, he didn't have to have a mother like that. He could just shown up, a, 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 a personification of God. He could just done that. But God says, no, I don't want you to. His father said, I don't want you to do that. I want you to be born. Now think about that. I, th I think of the movie Aladdin when I think of that picture. I think of the genie in the bottle when he, he, he's out. He's like, I have all this cosmic power, and I'm trapped in this itty-bitty tiny living space. Like, I think of, of, of God, Jesus, who created the universe. He spoke into being. He holds it together, right? I mean, he, he has thousands upon thousands of angels at his disposal at any moment. He could do anything that he wants to do. He has the worship of heaven adoring him. He has angels saying, holy, 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 are you Lord God Almighty. And he decides, he chooses to be born and to live in a young teenage girl's womb for nine months. He, he decides, he says, I'm going to give up all of that position and I'm going to take a position of humility to have my diaper changed and to have to depend on someone who has no idea what they're doing and to live in a time when there's like no palaces for me to live in. I'm going to be born in a manger. Do you, do you get the, the picture of that? Like somehow he, he predicts, he says, 
this king who's going to who's the one who's going to change all this is going to be born and there's another piece in the puzzle and it says that, and the government will be on his shoulders which means he will he will take over the leadership of our world now you may be like struggling with that a little bit right now but the way it's interesting how the old testament is written too all the prophecies are put into a bowl. Like when, when Isaiah's talking, he's, he's putting two different trips into the same bowl. He's like, there's going to be two times. We know, looking at the New Testament, there's going to be two times when Christ comes. The first time when he comes in his birth and his death and his resurrection. The second time he hasn't come back yet and when he makes all things right. And when the Israelites were looking at all the prophecies, they, they, were, they were thinking they're going to see it all at once. All of it happened at once. When there was a valley in between, there's going to be another moment of history that we're going to be waiting for. And there'll be a time when the government, when, when Jesus will reign, when he becomes the king. And then it says, and I think this is true now, and this will be true. He's, he's both on the macro level and the micro level, an incredible, which means this. He can, he knows the, the he can lead a nation. He knows how to navigate world systems. He knows how to navigate financial things. And on the macro level, he can lead this world in an incredible story. On the micro level, he knows your story and he can lead you through your struggles. He is a wonderful counselor. Now, let me just paint this for you because I think this is where we struggle. <coughs> when we are, in fact, the, the, the kings of that time did this. All right? They, they kind of did it this way. They're like, all right, God. I'm, I'm a spiritual person, therefore I need your wisdom. I need to know what you want me to do. And so God would give them the idea. He'll be like, this is what I want you to do. And they'll be like, but that doesn't really make sense to me. I want to do it this way. In fact, <laughs> what, what happens? So the king of Israel is, uh, they're struggling, right? They're, they're, they know this, this Assyrian army is coming in. And so they do this. They, they seek God. They're like, God, what do you want us to do? I'll do whatever you want us to do. And they have two choices. There's, there's, like, there's like NATO. You know what I'm saying. There, there's, these, there's like a treaty available to them. They can sign up for They can join Egypt and all these, these countries and, and protect themselves against Assyria. Or they can do it themselves. And so the king's like, all right, the smart thing to do is to join the, the treaty. Of course, right? Because the more people you have obviously the better you are but god is like but we'll seek god anyway so they seek god and god says no i want you to trust me <laughs> and the king's like i don't like that one i don't let i don't want this makes sense god this is what every all my advisors are telling me all the counselors i have are telling me to take the take the treaty <laughs> god's like no trust me i'm 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 god i'll take care of you just trust me no but but god can we try this this is what we do right God, tell me what you want me to do. Heads, I'll do this. Tails, I do this. We flip the coin, right? We catch the coin, and we're like, I don't like that one. We'll do that. Was a practice one, God. Let's do this again, and we're gonna do a best two out of three this time because we're gonna make sure. So we do one, two, three, and we look at it. We're like, Ah, God, must be the coins not working. I, I think you want me to do it left-handed. Let's do four out of seven. Cross out. The, do you understand what we're saying? Is we in the middle of a story? We don't understand his counsel. We're like, I don't, uh, that's not going to get me to where I want to be. But you ever notice, for some of us in here, for, I hope a lot of us in here, you get past the story and you look back, and you're like, God, that was crazy, but that was right. Our struggle is not in God's wisdom. God's wisdom is available to us. 
God's counsel is, you may be walking through depression and struggle and darkness right now. His wisdom is wonderful. He, he, he has it available to you. Because he says it in James. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, just come to me and I'll give it to you. Like, without end, I'll, I'll give you wisdom. It, it's sometimes it's our obedience to that wisdom that we both struggle with. He's a wonderful counselor. Can you just, when Jesus, come, when Jesus has come, when we, when we walk with him, do you get to, we, we get to experience his counsel in our life? He is mighty God. The picture is a warrior. The picture is, is of power. The picture is of, of someone who's fighting for you. you know, I, I don't know where you are right now in, in life. But I know at least a few of you in here are feeling that battle. Like, you're not necessarily fighting physically. You're not punching anybody or anything like that. But you feel like you're getting knocked around a few times. You feel like, I've had enough. You know, you know what God sometimes says to people? Um, a, lot, a lot of times in the Old Testament. He says, stop striving, be still, and just trust me. I'll take care of it. I'll fight for you, he says. I'll, 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 go, to war, I'll go to battle for you. I will... In fact, the New Testament says this, Philippians 4.13. Some of you have this as your life verse. I can do, do you know the rest of it? All things through Christ who gives me strength. Can I just, can I, can I, man, I wish I had, time runs so fast. But can I just tell you, we misquote that a lot of times because the previous verse says, I have learned the, the, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether, whether having lots of food or nothing, whether having lots of money or nothing, whether have being, being well taken care of or have, struggling. In all things, in all those things, I know that I can handle it through Christ who gives me strength. That's mighty God. A mighty God who says, I will uphold you when the battle's going on. A mighty God who says, I, I got your back when things are, are rough. I'm not leaving you. I'm fighting for you. In fact, my favorite verse, who can say anything in response to this? If God is for us, if God is fighting for us, who can be against us? Mighty God. Everlasting Father. So not only is he wise, and has, has all the wisdom that he has at his, at his disposal. Not only is he powerful, but that power and that wisdom is like shined down in our life in his love for us. Everlasting. I find that to be a very interesting term that he uses. From beginning of time to the end of time. Everlasting father means even, even when we're running from him, he still loves us as a father he, it doesn't go away it's without end he still pursues everlasting father he he is concerned he wants to bring you underneath his headship underneath his house into his family so that you can experience what it's like to have a king who is your father prince my, i think this is my I, you, I don't know if we can vote on that which one's your favorite because they're, they're all really good but this one's really good he is the prince of peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of, like, this frustration, he is the king. He, he, is the, he is the only one that brings peace. He brings peace to, like, our relationship with the Father. He's like, in the New Testament, he talks about taking down the wall. Like, he, he removes the curtain. Like, we can, we can know God now. We can walk with him. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring peace that way. He brings peace between two Separate groups that were at war together. The Gentiles and the Jews, they hated each other. And he brought peace there, is what Ephesians says. He's, he's a God of peace. But not only does he promise peace there, he says, I, really, he's brought peace for you. 
in your anguish and in your anxiety and your frustration. He says, I want to be the king of peace. In fact, he says this in the Philippians 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God. He says, bring it to me. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Who, belo- who owns the peace? God. How, how does that peace work out? It transcends all understanding. We don't even get it. He is the, the king of peace. The, now, think about that for a second. He's, the prophet Isaiah is saying this to a nation in darkness and gloom, and he's probably saying it to some of us today. And his statement is this. Know, know who's coming. There's someone coming, and he's going to provide. Is there, is there anything else we need? Is there anything else? Like, is there anything else that you want in life? I mean, is, do you need direction? That will get you to where God wants you to be. Do you, do you need to be loved? I, we all want to be loved. That's why we do half the things we do. Do you, do you feel like you're weak? Isn't God going to be enough strength for you? Do you, do you need peace? Do you, there's nothing else in our, in our hearts that we need besides these four things. And he says, you know the only person that can provide it? It's not going to be some, on some commercial someplace about a car that you're going to drive. It's not going to be on a new phone that you want this Christmas. It's not going to be on anything that you get under the tree. The build-up to Christmas is like thousands of years. You get this. This is written, this is written 700 years before Jesus comes, and there's this build-up. Someone's coming. Someone's here the peace. Someone's coming. This is what it's going to look like. Someone's coming. Someone's coming. Someone's coming. Someone's coming. And over hundreds of years, there's like someone's coming. And finally, Christmas Day arrives. The wait is over. And he says, today, in the city of David, a Savior is going to be born to you. This is going to be good news of great joy for all the people. Why? Because it's this guy who we've been waiting for. The Messiah. The Savior. The Christ. The only one that changes our darkness darkness from gloom to joy. All the promises are fulfilled in him. All the sacrifices are fulfilled in him. All the, the temple requirements are fulfilled in him. Everything that the Old Testament has been pointing to and all the frustration the Israelites have had is fulfilled in Jesus. And all of a sudden you're like, I, I, I don't know about you. Can you tell I'm getting a little excited about this? Jesus is coming. Jesus is here. You know, what, I, what I've hoped during this series, as we have the worship team come up, the red and the plaid people come on up, is that you fall in love with this book. I hope that you fall in love with the Old Testament and can see how beautiful it is. That Because, you know, the problem is we've had billions of people on this planet. All right? and so if we start with this, someone's coming. We're looking around. We have no idea who we're looking for. It could be any of you. And then all these prophecies and all these things start, start painting a picture of who he is. Oh, he'll, he'll be born in Bethlehem. <clears throat> that narrows it down a little bit. He's going to be from the lineage of David. That narrows it down a little bit. He'll, he'll be a light in Galilee. That narrows it down a little bit. He, he's going he's gonna to bring healing to the nations. That narrows it down a little bit. And guess what? You know the biggest one that narrowed it down? Because a lot of people claimed that in those days. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. You know what, you know what really narrowed it down? That he was going to be crucified on a cross. That he was going to be um, bruised for our sins. We're going to talk about that next week. But all of a sudden, this picture comes into place. It's like the Messiah. And if you do, do the number, if you're a math person, I did English people, so now we're going to do the other side of the brain, math people. If you did the math on the, the chances of 
someone fulfilling all those prophecies, prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. You know, you know the chances of that are almost impossible. Well, it's probably the same as the Big Bang Theory, if you ask me, but uh, it's almost impossible. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way it can happen. It's Jesus. He's predicted to come. And he's, he's the one providing hope. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just come before you. And I just uh, 